the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Let's see here, live, checking for a pulse, and got it. Okay, good. (laughs) We can proceed. Good afternoon. Welcome. Welcome to the Thursday edition of Lifeline. Greg Roberts with you, and as always, a delight and privilege to uh, spend some time with you this afternoon. Today we're going to talk a bit at the start of the program about the hearings going on in D.C. related to the president's Supreme Court pick. Now, earlier today, Senate Majority Leader uh, indicated that the nominee, Katenji Brown-Jackson, is on track to be confirmed in the coming weeks. New York Democrat Chuck Schumer opened the Senate, calling the federal judge brilliant and highly qualified. He accused some Republicans, however, of trying to smear Jackson with misleading and outright false claims during a confirmation hearing this week. Jackson, if in fact confirmed, would be the first black woman to ever serve on the high court. Meanwhile, Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell said he'll vote no on the confirmation of the Supreme Court nominee. McConnell said he had an open mind but decided to oppose the federal appellate judge after her performance before the Judiciary Committee this week, arguing that Jackson, quote, repeatedly deflected basic questions about her judicial philosophy, close quote. He also accused her of sidestepping questions about specific rulings. McConnell called it an endless circle of evasion. Jackson, if confirmed, as we mentioned, would be the first black woman to ever serve on the Supreme Court. To get some insights as to what's been going on the last four days, we're joined by educator, constitutional lawyer, best-selling author, Joe Murray. Joe, by the way, is the author of a brand new book called Take Back Education. And Joe, as always, a privilege to have you join us. Well, it is good to be back. How are you doing, my friend? I am. I am doing well, but kind of, kind of scratching my head. Before we get into the specifics of the hearings over the last several days, does this just seem to be kind of over the last several hearings? I don't mean just in the case of uh, yeah. of Jackson, but but going back to even uh, the hearings related to um, uh, Barrett and to Kavanaugh, that that just mm-hmm. seems to get more debased, more nastier, less and less yeah. polite. I mean, there was a moment today where or yesterday, rather, it almost seemed as if um, Senator Graham was suggesting that, well, you know, we're kind of taking the gloves off here because, after all, Democrats did not uh, treat uh, Brett Kavanaugh or Amy Coney Barrett with much respect during those hearings, as if somehow to suggest that, you know, you do it to our guy, we're going to do it to yours. Uh, Do do you get the sense that we're just slowly watch the deterioration of, of, uh, you know, politeness in public just disappear? Yeah, I do. I think, uh, you know, as I watched the hearing, I, I thought to myself, these senators on both sides of the aisle, I feel like I'm, I'm monitoring uh, lunch duty at school. Uh, I mean, it's just you have a bunch of people yapping and yelling at each other, and the messaging is lost. The messaging here 
is anger, it's bitterness. And, and, and the sad thing is, Craig, there are a lot of issues to which you can hold the judge accountable to. And I think they need to. But what senators are doing here, and this is my, my gut take on this, I think her confirmation, barring a miracle, is going to most likely be true. Uh, and I think what the senators are now doing is that they're using this this hearing more for their own political capital than rather than do the job, which is to vet this judge. Because the way, I, you know, I look at Senator Graham, and I like Senator Graham. We don't always see eye to eye on issues. But the way he's acted, the storming out, the, the, the interrupting, all of this stuff, Craig, it, you know, this doesn't convince anyone. This is about grandstanding. And, and, and I think that's the major problem right there, that this is becoming all about the, the, the senators and not about the judge, but more specifically, not about her record. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's really about not just the judge's record, but the judge's judicial philosophy, the nature of that philosophy and how it will guide he, or in this case she, um, in in future decisions as a member of the high court, if indeed uh, confirmed to that position. I, I I thought some of the grandstanding, you know, again, seemed to be sort of tit for tat. You, you were impolite to our person, so we're going to be impolite to yours. I, I also kind of questioned, I forget which senator it was, it might have been Howley, um, asking her opinions on court packing. Well, you know, when, when is that ever going to have a bearing on anything? It's certainly never going to be a case that's going to come before the high court, I would suspect. Yeah. And, and it seemed yeah. to me that there was so much more meat there that could have been focused on, and instead, yeah, you're right. It sounded like more of a more of a a playground fight amongst a bunch of uh, you know preschoolers. Yeah, and that's where the problem lies. Is because I mean, you know, one of the things, and I think uh, I think it was Senator Blackburn who did this, uh, pressing the judge on something as simple as well, defined what what a woman is, and the fact that Judge Jackson did not figure this out, or was not willing to just say what, gosh, generations and generations of traditions have said, that shows you where we are. And and I think we have a great argument to make in terms of what is her judicial philosophy going to be? And, and is it going to be something that is in line with modern legal thought? Or are we seeing an evolution? Because this also stems back to what we're seeing in the classrooms across the, the country with critical race theory. If you looked at the judge's Senate Judiciary Questionnaire, she hinted, now I will admit it wasn't a blatant, but she did hint that critical race theory is something that could be used. And these are issues that I think if we had a hearing that was more on logic and more on, on, on actually trying to converse, we would, I would love to see this stuff be fleshed out, but it's about who's going to get the 30-minute the clip on Tucker or who's going to get the headline on CNN. That's what these hearings have become about, and that, that, that's troubling for the country because it shows that this process is no longer about the qualifications of the judges. It's about the political prowess and the political bullying. Of the, of the of the parties and that's it in the Senate. And, and sadly, therefore, and as a result, the the people of the United States, the integrity of the Constitution of the United States, uh, potentially suffers and suffers greatly. I mean, at the end of the day, I would really love to know where any 
potential court nominee stands on issues in direct relationship to uh, you know the 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 historicity of of the of the uh, the Constitution and uh, previous rulings, et cetera, et cetera. Will you uphold the fundamentals? of the Constitution of the United States. And I, I really initially, I didn't know what to make of that question. I thought at, at, at one yeah. layer, I don't know in all of the hearings that I've watched down through the years that there has ever been a question posed to any potential judge as to how they define a gender. <laughs> and, and, and as odd as that was, and I, I think she was probably wise for the moment in, in not not kind of playing into that by refusing to answer the question. But I also think, and maybe you can elaborate on this, uh, Joe, in depth when we come back after the break, that sadly we are reaching a juncture in American history where maybe a question of that nature, while on the surface seemingly entirely inappropriate and out of sorts, maybe becoming ever more appropriate, given all the debate going on in this country related to uh, gender dysphoria, what's yeah. being taught in the public classrooms, and, 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 and what appears to be at least some layers a full court press to try and encourage children. I mean, it's one thing for a child at, you know, the age of majority or slightly thereunder to, to, to question things and to have struggles and, and not know who they are and, and to kind of go through that, that self-exploratory process. You know, it, 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 not every child goes through it, but it does happen. But when you're almost by suggestion forcing it upon children who at the age of seven or eight would, under their own volition, not have a single thought in that direction whatsoever if they weren't being pushed and prompted really raises, I think, some severe questions about the entire fundamental direction of where the country is going in, uh, even if it are if it were in extra constitutional fashion. And I, I want to have you respond to that question. I've given the setup. Now we're going to give you a moment to think about it because I don't want to don't want to interrupt your response. Uh, so we're going to take a quick time out. If you've just joined us with us today, constitutional lawyer, reporter, best-selling author Joe Murray. He is a former speechwriter for Pat Buchanan, author of a new book called Take Back Education, which you can find available through Amazon.com. And uh, when we come back, we'll continue our analysis of the, uh, the fourth and final day of Supreme Court hearings and where all this may potentially be headed. I'm Craig Roberts, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're back once again with us today, best-selling author, reporter, constitutional lawyer, Joe Murray, author of Take Back Education. We are uh, talking, of course, about the potential impact of this uh, new high court nominee, uh, if, if indeed confirmed, and, and whether or not there would be cases that um, she would influence related to education, especially as we see more and more of the national dialogue turning toward concerns over so-called critical race theory. I have to wonder, Joe Murray, as we sort of break down the, the nature of the questioning over the last few days, I, 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 to some degrees, I can't imagine somebody like Thurgood Marshall uh, back in 1967 or more recently Clarence Thomas yeah. being asked to answer these types of questions as if somehow to suggest that their race is going to influence 
the decision-making process as they ought to be looking at it strictly through the lens of, of the constitutionality of a question before the high court. Um, it, it, was this a bit of a field too far, or have we reached that stage where uh, it, this is becoming so divisive that, that these questions most naturally uh, will be brought up by members of the, um, the Senate? No, I think this is a a proper evolution. Well, I shouldn't say proper. It is a evolution of where we are as a society. If you look at what is going on, and this is the big debate, and I, and I don't want anyone ever to think that we should be judgmental or insensitive. There are people out there that are going through all sorts of issues, and, and, and we should pray and we should be there and support them. But when we're dealing with this issue of of uh, of, of, of trans rights and so forth, there's a big difference between tolerance and acceptance. And the thing is, I think you can support someone, you can embrace them, you don't have to shun them. But what we're now is we're moving into a, a situation where now we're saying, okay, well, not only do you have to, you know, tolerate, but now you have to accept. So now you have to have trans men in women's sports, which, you know, I've seen how so many of these young girls, they they give up proms, they give up dances, they give up vacations, they give up all sorts of stuff to train, to hone their craft, and then all of a sudden the biological male comes in and is able to upstage years of hard work. And I think that question that was posed, what does woman mean, is important because these cases are going to make their way. They're already in the system right now. Uh, Pronouns, a teacher in Kansas has just been fired uh, last month because she would call the child by the legal name, the name that was in the computer system, and not the perceived name that the child wanted to be called. And and here's the issue that you're going to have too, Craig. So if schools are now able to honor children's rights and children's demands that if I'm a biological male and I want to be called by the she pronoun, what about the parents' rights? What if the parent says no? What does the school do? Does the school honor the child's wish or the parent's wish? So we are about to enter a minefield of, of uh, cases that are going to likely be up at the Supreme Court. So I think it's a very fair question to ask, you know, what is the definition of, of woman? Well, and I think and, even, even going beyond that, it, what, what I find problematic, you've couched the debate in terms of, of tolerance and acceptance, but I think what we're starting to see, and this is particularly true of a state like California, is just not, not just a spirit of tolerance or, or, or urging people to accept. It's outright promotion. That's yeah. what I find problematic. You know, if, if, if you raise a child to be a Republican and one day he grows up and says, Mommy, I think I'm actually a Democrat, that's, that's maybe a bad choice. But you get what I'm saying. You, know, you, you, you raise your child to, meet a, to be a meat eater and, and someday he or she says, I'm actually a vegetarian. You've not pushed on that. You've not promoted that. You've not suggested yeah. it. They've come to that conclusion at the age of majority, on their own volition, you may not agree with it, but if they choose to only eat plants and vegetables and not meat, so be it. Uh, and again, I apologize for such an awkward <laughs> uh, uh, example there. But but at, at the end of the day, I think what's what's particularly troubling is that we have school districts that are actually 
pushing this idea, promoting this idea, injecting questions and doubt into the minds of children when at the age of five or six or eight years old, they ought to be more concerned with, you know, playing with toys and, and, uh, you know, running around the schoolyard. I certainly don't remember pondering questions about, you know, world peace and the future of nuclear power at the age of eight. So why are these kids? Yeah, and, and here's the thing, Craig. You know, when I was researching my book, I talked to teachers all over the country, and, you know, I had teachers tell me that they had sixth graders and seventh graders, eighth graders, fifth graders come and say, well, hi, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. My pronoun is they, them, or they, she. And, 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 and it's like, why are you asking students what their pronouns are? First of all, it makes no sense to be a they for a she, in lieu of a she. That totally turns all, uh, turns all pronouns on its head. Second of all, these are impressionable kids. And this is what I want to say. Look, I, I have been there. I have gone through this. When you are young, you are impressionable. And when you're also young, you also like to rebel. It's part of growing up. You challenge things. Being gay or trans is not like it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. There is an acceptability now. There is no longer a stigma. That does not mean that there is no discrimination. That does not mean that there are no hate crimes to get generated out of it. It means that the stigma has been very well removed. So now impressionable kids can do what impressionable kids do, shock and awe. So you might have kids now that that are saying this, for whatever reasons, it might be true, it might be an act of rebellion, but then to allow this kid to follow through with these, these gender-changing treatments and hormones, this is something, you know, out of a sci-fi movie. This is not what we call adequate parenting, these prepubescent blockers. It is like we are creating a, a generation of petri dishes where we are so upending the traditional notion of, of what our society is, and, and it's by deliberate design. I mean, there's a reason we're trying to, to make it confused as to what a gender is. Craig, if you think that if we would have gone back, to, like you said, to the times of Kennedy or Lyndon Johnson, if you think you would have asked LBJ, hey, LBJ, that bill you're signing, do you think that bill's going to give the rights for a guy to swim with gals? What do you think LBJ would have said? To yeah. <laughs> Some of that so would not be repeatable on, on the public airwaves. <laughs> exactly. But that's what we've done. We, there has been a concentrated effort to so undermine the pillars of Western society, and they've finally reached the biggest, one of the biggest pillars, which is, of course, the Judeo-Christian ethic, but also just the very notion of, of, of our social construct, of what it is to be a man and what it is to be a woman. And because that is so connected to the Judeo-Christian ethic, they are taking a sledgehammer to it. Yeah, and, and that's an important point that I think we need to underscore. You know, for the longest time, we have talked about, railed against the disintegration of the nuclear family, the alarming rise in uh, the divorce rate, now more recently uh, the the shocking numbers of couples that choose to simply cohabitate without the benefit of, of marriage that certainly has changed the fabric of the American family. Now we're seeing attacks on the very fundamental social construct so that, you know, you you can no longer see a man or a woman and say, this is a man, that's a woman. It's, you know, up for grabs. And, and I've even started to see in, in, in the professional realm where people on the, the signatory line of their emails are putting mm-hmm. their preferred uh, pronouns in there. First time I saw that, I thought, well, if your name is Gus, you don't need to tell me he or him. Really? Uh, you know, and, and, and it just, it, it, it is certainly an eye-opener and has to make you wonder if this continues unchecked, 
just exactly where it's going to lead us. And I guess that brings us back full circle to to these hearings. G- give, give me your sense in terms of, uh, you know, I, I mentioned Chuck Schumer says, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, check all the boxes. She's going to be approved. And uh, Mitch McConnell says, nope, not a chance. How do you think this is going to go down? And could we wind up with a 50-50 split? And if so, does it become uh, Kamala Harris's decision? Well, you know, I, I, it makes me wonder what uh, our good senators from West Virginia and Arizona are going to do. Uh, they could be on the fence. Uh, I think Manchin, of course, has the biggest chance of being on the fence. But then again, you have to look at our good senators from Utah and Maine and Alaska, Murkowski and uh, Murray and um, and um, um, Romney. Uh, you have too many, I think you have too many moderate Republicans here that have the chance that they will they will vote with uh, with the Democrats. Look, Craig, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she passed the Senate 93, to, I think it was 93 to 2, I think it was, her vote, and she was one of the, the, the liberal icons, the liberal lioness. Uh, Republicans don't have a good track record of uh, of fighting these nominations. Uh, now, that, that has changed recently, and I, I think they understand the importance of the court, but I think there are going to be too many Republicans that are not going to see this from an issue of principle they're going to see it from the issue of politics, and they don't want to be seen as the senator that is picking on the historic first black female. Yeah, uh, and, and, it, and, and it is also a midterm election year, isn't it? And where yeah. um, in, in past history, we've seen the argument used both ways. Oh, it's too close to the uh, presidential election to uh, to push this through, or, oh, it's far enough away, not a problem. I mean, they've had their cake and eat it, too, on, on a couple of occasions. Now, all of a sudden, we're here in the midterms. It makes it a far more complicated argument to suggest that, well, you know, <laughs> Biden only has two and a half years to go, so let's not vote. I mean, I don't know how you deal yeah. with that. And, and if your vote comes down in the wrong direction at a midterm election, that could cost your seat. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, where do we draw the line? If we start with the midterms now, heck, by the time the president finishes his first year in office, we'll be like, well, he has one year done. We only have three years yeah. left, so we better not yeah. vote on the on the judicial nominee. And, and I think the issue is, and I think, and I think rightfully so, I think Republicans are thinking, okay, we have a winning message on inflation. We have a winning message on foreign policy failures. We have a winning message on the complete chaos in the cities with crime. We have a winning, winning message on the border with how it's just basically falling apart. Do we want to give the media and the Democrats a lifeline and let them reignite the whole, the Republicans are racist, sexist, and want to drag us back to the 50s? Well, not only is there a danger point in that, but I want to underscore something. you've, You've just touched on a number of key talking points that can and and should be likely used not only heading into the midterm election but heading into 2024 and and the bigger problem for Republicans is going to be uh, if they fail to continue to deal with the issues that resonate with the voters and if the potential Republican nominee that we don't know to a certainty one way or another, but if the potential nominee thinks that he's going to run on a platform of relitigating the 2020 election to get elected into 2024, I think that is a failed approach. I think that's going to be DOA if, if they think or if he thinks that that is, is going to be an argument that's going to win re-election. Yeah, I agree. I think if you look at it this way, 
no matter what anyone believes on about 2020, that argument needs to be being made in the state houses. You know, if you think that 2020 was not a just election, election, you need to go to Michigan, you need to go to Arizona, you need to go to Georgia, you need to go to Pennsylvania, and you need to elect people that you think are going to change the election law to make sure it doesn't happen again. It's not a federal issue. I think the Republican nominee, whoever that may be, is going to be handed a silver platter with all these issues. Joe Biden, when he won, Regardless of what you thought of him, we hoped for the best. We hoped that he was going to be a unifier. He proved that he wasn't. He took a very sharp turn to the left. We hoped that he was going to bring stability in the world. Well, Vladimir Putin kind of caused trouble with that. And his, you know, I don't think his, his, uh, his job so far has been horrible. I think it's smart that he's trying to keep us out. I don't think anybody believes that a war with Russia is going to be in our best interest. I think there's been some blunders along the way, but I think in terms of the inflation, that is what's hitting people, Craig, when you realize that a gallon of milk has now gone up about a dollar to a dollar twenty-five, and you look at the gallon of gas, and you look at how they shut down on, on the energy production. These are the issues. That this is going to be kind of, you know, history repeats itself. It's going to be 1992 all over again. You got it's it. The economy stupid. It's the economy stupid, and if, yep. And, and if you don't seize on that, if you, Winston Churchill had the best best quote, if you stop to throw stones at every dog that barks, you'll never get to where you need to be. And the election of 2020, while it is important, that's, that's a barking dog right now that we don't need to worry about. We need to worry about getting back into the White House, and how do you do that? You focus on the economy, because that is what Americans care about right now. And it can't be focusing on the economy that once was. It has to be focusing on correcting the economy that we have right now. And, uh, you know, short of doing that, you know, as you're mentioning about milk prices, gas prices, remember where I live. <laughs> oh, boy. You know, it, it stings to wake up in the morning, let alone dare to stop by the grocery store and, and pick up a couple of items. Joe Murray with us today, best-selling author. He is a constitutional lawyer, former speechwriter for Patrick Buchanan, a former presidential candidate, as you know. And he is the author of the best-selling book, Take Back Education, available through Amazon.com. We'll come back with more of Joe's analysis as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation, constitutional lawyer, reporter, best-selling author Joe Murray. His new book, by the way, Take Back Education, unfolds many of these issues that we're addressing today, many of the issues that were front and center over the last four days related to the, um, the hearings for the appointment, potential appointment to the high court of Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson. What is your sense? Uh, Again, Joe, as we articulated earlier, a lot of grandstanding going on by both parties. And and as you kind of hinted to before the break, given the fact we're on a midterm election, that's not going to impact all the senators, but some. You know, do you want to be the guy that voted against the first woman black judge on the high court and how do you potentially see this thing going down well time is of essence so to speak i think democrats understand that time is on the s i think the longer their nominations out there the more time uh dirt and and controversial opinions and rules all that stuff gets to resonate i think there's a reason they're having hearings now as the war rages in the ukraine I think it's it's being lost a little bit. I think if you if you I think there were great questionings on her sentencings of pedophiles, 
uh, rationale about just limiting uh, computer use. Uh, that was one I think Lee Graham's probably better examination of her. But there's a lot going on in the world right now, Craig. I think I saw the latest poll. I think a majority of Americans, by a pretty clear majority, have a favorable view of her because they don't know her. They they know the moment, and I think most Americans are happy to see this moment here. I think Democrats, the longer she stays out there, the greater the chance that that her numbers come down. So I see something moving on this as quickly as possible, because uh, times only hurt Democrats right now. They they want to get her on the bench. They want to get her situated. And I think that's exactly what they're going to try to do. And, and barring some type of Kavanaugh surprise, uh, I, I still see enough time for some of these more nuanced legal arguments to attract the attention of the American people, especially when so many things are occupying their time right now. Yeah, yeah. When we're when we're trying to figure out where we're going to get the money to fill up the gas tank yeah. to go to work, uh, or you know how long a war in Eastern Europe is going to rage, and you know yeah. the, the the threats of of Putin real or or uh, otherwise related to potential use of nuclear weapons, certainly plenty to distract Americans. Let me complicate this further. We know over the past week that Justice Clarence Thomas has been in the hospital. We don't have any real clear specifics, at least none that I've seen yet, as to what's going on. He has sat on the court for 32 years now. Is there also an advantage here to the Democrats to push this thing through as quickly as possible because maybe somebody is thinking if there are some health concerns, there could be not one but two potential appointments for Joe Biden? I think so, and I think this is this is where I think the Republicans have to pick their battles. I, I don't think uh, that we're going to lose any ground if this current nomination goes through. I think if you would lose someone like Clarence Thomas, and you know the courts are so essential right now. If you are of the traditional conservative mindset, it's kind of the stand we have uh, to prevent some of these more aggressive left-wing. Um, uh, uh, you know, plans and policies to take hold. I think that's where you see the Republicans pull out the stops. I think that's where you would see even moderate Republicans and moderate Democrats maybe swing over because be getting so close to the midterms. And I think that would be an issue. I think that would get conservative voters out. I think that would increase an already incoming tsunami right now, red tsunami. And I, and I don't want to say that, Craig, because it's so far out and. And you don't want to overplay your hand. But right now, the Republicans are in the catbird seat. If, if the Thomas comes up, Lord, I don't want to be anywhere near Washington, D.C., because that place is going to be combustive. Yeah, yeah, uh, un- undoubtedly, uh, because that, 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 that suddenly, after, after relishing the moment of the balance of power in terms yeah. of liberal versus conservative, have swung in the conservative end of things, and, and so many yeah. are excited about the potentiality of a re- reversal on things like Roe versus Wade, et cetera, et cetera, and mm-hmm. then suddenly, uh-oh, here's something nobody saw, nobody could have pre- predicted that all of a sudden real upsets that balance of power yet once again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, would become ground zero and not because Putin drops a bomb. Yeah, and, and I think and honestly, I think at that point, then the Republicans have the moral high ground to fight that nation. Uh, right now, you know, like I said, it's, we're not, there's ground being lost. 
uh, and these arguments are just way too nuanced for people to understand. People don't understand sentencing procedures. Most Americans are not finding themselves in front of a judge uh, arguing sentencing details. These are foreign concepts. These aren't bread and butter concepts. So people don't get it, but people would understand the cult, especially your more in-tune voters would understand that whole culture war shift to the court. And I think that one, that's a hill to die on. Uh, this one, I just don't see it, Greg. I, I mean, the only thing that you get out of this is that you are opposing history. You're a bull Connor. That's what I see if you if you really come down hard. Well, and, and that, therein, I think, was the, the mistake in, in, in the line of questioning or the direction yes. that, that Lindsey Graham seemed to go in, that, you know, he seemed to be almost in an awkward way apologetic that she yeah. was being subjected to this line of questioning. But after all, that's what Democrats did, you know, in the two previous uh, mm-hmm. nominees. And it's like, yeah, did you really have to go there? Let's just <laughs> stick to the facts. Exactly. You know, we, 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 we know it was nasty, but, you know, to say that, therefore, we're going to be nasty and kind, you know, it, it's sad when instead of causing others to, to, to rise to our level, we instead lower ourselves to them. And I think that speaks very poorly. It does. And the one thing that's really not being discussed in this nomination, at least not anymore, is the way this that judge was nominated. And, and this is the problem. She's qualified, no doubt about it. You might not agree with her politics or her judicial philosophy. That's a different story. That's not necessarily qualification. That is a that is a divergence of opinion. But the fact that Biden pledged he was going to nominate a specific person from a specific race I think nobody understands that that this judge, when confirmed, is always going to have that cloud of suspicion over her head, that she got this only because Biden said he had to nominate a black female. Yeah, it does, it does, it does kind of around yeah. the periphery smack a little bit of, you know, affirmative action here. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it would spoke, speak much highly of her and him to say, hey, I went out, I scoured the country, yeah. in my opinion, this is the best candidate possible and and then everybody and can exactly. celebrate at multiple layers instead of saying, well, you know, she got it because, in part, that's not a good look. No, it isn't. And that's exactly what Biden set her up for. And, and that's why when he made that pledge, I mean, his pledge should be, I am going to find the best judicial mind that represents my beliefs and values. And with a wink and a nod, those people would have known what he was doing. But he was so desperate at that time to call back into the race, he set this judge up to fail because now – down the line, once she gets in, that is always going to be there. That is always going to be, a, oh, you're not here because you earned it. You're here because Joe Biden had to honor a campaign. Well, pledge. we're so dependent upon the case and her vote, uh, you know, potentially yeah. tainting, in a, in a sense, that outcome. And, and the argument that, well, you know, she should have recru- recused herself because this case, yeah. uh, you know, touches on, on uh, being African-American or being a woman or being both. And, and I can see certainly the racist in this country sadly playing that card, yes. thinking it's to their advantage to kind of undermine any, any you know, the, the influence of her vote in cases in the future. So, yeah, that was, that was not a good, uh, not a wise statement to make going out the gate. And I think that, again, is indicative of where we are in this country. We're becoming more balkanized, and we're, we're coming, we're, we're isolating ourselves into more and more subgroups that we are no longer able to see the big picture anymore. Uh, it is, it is a, what I see now, Craig, probably in the foreseeable future, or excuse me, the foreseeable future, 
is you're going to have micro battles on every little thing because everything is going to be, you know, the hill to die on for every micro group. And that is what Theodore Roosevelt warned, warned was a way to basically dismantle the Union uh, by, by not seeing ourselves as Americans. I mean, look what happened today. Biden is overseas. He is trying to unite the West. He is trying to stave off what could be World War III. And what does he do? He takes a pot shot at Donald Trump. Look, politics is supposed to end at water's edge. He is the leader of the free world. He is supposed to be the face of unity. And he's showing that his own house isn't in order. Yeah, yeah. So that's, it, that's, it, 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 was, it was shocking. It really was. Well, uh, you know, but, but, but sadly, his predecessor did the same thing. And, 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 and that always used to disturb me. When you're overseas, if you don't have anything nice to say about your your uh, you know your your political foes, uh, don't say anything at all. Not not when you're on foreign soil. When you get back to the states, have at it. But in front of the foreign press and the foreign soil, you know it, it needs to be all about America, and we're all great, and we keep our arguments amongst ourselves. Even though with global media, they still know what we're thinking, but at least we're not saying it to them and on foreign soil. And and shame on Biden for doing that, and shame on his predecessor for doing the same thing completely and entirely inappropriate. You know, when, when, you're, when you're on the world stage, we got to present a united front. Because you know what? If we don't stand together, we will surely fall apart. Joe Murray, constitutional lawyer, founder and president of the... Now I'm founder and president. We just... <laughs> just, uh, I just, I just, uh, I just elevated you, Joe, to an organization that doesn't... Well, maybe someday. Joe Murray, best-selling author, reporter, constitutional lawyer. The book, Take Back Education... Available through Amazon.com. Joe, as always, we appreciate the time and the insights. And and one day we'll, maybe we'll introduce you as president. Who knows? President of the country. (laughs) Joe Murray. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We often on this program, from the context of what's going on legally and constitutionally, speak of the impact of abortion but let me be abundantly clear. At the end of the day, it's always about lives. It's about the individual families. It's about the impact on the father who will never be a father, the mother who will never be a mother, at least not to that child, the child who will never live his or her life. It really, at the end of the day, is about people and the dynamic of what happens when hurting people hurt and sometimes even when hurting people hurt other people. And oftentimes that's kind of behind all of this, this issue. Joining me now with some insights on the people angle when it comes to addressing unplanned or unexpected pregnancy is Rosie Rosensky. Rosie is patient services manager on behalf of Real Options. Rosie, thank you for taking some time to be with us today. When we talk about the people angle, maybe that's the most important thing here. We We, we think of wanting to save lives, to give voice to the unborn, to protect them. But at the end of the day, we're typically talking about people that for a variety of reasons and circumstances are in a difficult position and oftentimes hurting and seeking answers. That's right. Um, It's largely about relationships. Uh, What we do in our Real Options Obrea Medical Clinics is build those relationships with patients in a variety of ways in order to let them know they're not alone and give them that support that they need. And when you speak of building relationships, uh, I imagine the, a big and important part of that is as your relationship building, you're also building trust, aren't you? 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, oftentimes, our, oftentimes our relationship with a patient begins prior to them even stepping into the office. Um, we have an interactive feature on our website, for example. It's called Live Chat. It is a quick and easy way to connect with prospective patients. And Live Chat is true chat. That means the patients are not visiting with a bot. They are visiting with a person. It kicks off a really true relationship even before the patient walks through the doors because oftentimes they are feeling their most lonely and vulnerable when they're sitting at home alone searching for answers. And we can be that person on the other end of that line for them. Um, we recently just got a review from a patient that had an experience like that. And she said, let me just say the staff at Real Options are wonderful. And she goes on to say from the online chat, I encountered to the nurses, I encountered the sweetest and kindest people. She said it made all my scary nerves go away and replaced it with so much positive energy. Um, that's kind of what it's all about. It's all about that relationship. Um, some other review highlights include comments like it was easy to book confirm and get to my appointment, <laughs> which is really good to hear. And I look forward to staying connected. And so we said, okay, um, how can we create this type of experience from beginning to end? Um, and so we're really grateful that we have options like our new live chat option on the website where people can reach out because it's just another opportunity for us and way for us to be able to start building that relationship. And it's so important because, again, that, that trust factor for a woman that's in an unplanned pregnancy that is undoubtedly dealing with a lot of questions, perhaps feeling very confused, being confronted by conflicting stories, conflicting information, perhaps even being forced, in a sense, to try and make a decision that they don't wholly feel comfortable with or even feel uh, perhaps educated or empowered enough to even make that kind of decision with a sense of confidence. And, and sadly, the, the pro-abortion side of the equation wants to rush to judgment, rush to the procedure, and then after the fact, when women have had an opportunity to, to think, to dwell, to get more answers, find that suddenly they've made a decision that they cannot reverse. And so building that trust, building that relationship going in that ultimately will empower a woman is really the key and really the difference being made by organizations like Real Options. If you want to get more information or to support the ongoing work of Real Options here in the San Francisco Bay Area, you can check them out online at friendsofrealoptions.net. That's friendsofrealoptions.net. Our thanks to Rosie Rosensky, Patient Services Manager for Real Options, with that insight. Just a little bit before 6 o'clock here from KFAX. Let's get you an update on traffic. And I just recently reconnected with Real Options. I'm a mom of two and just found out that I'm expecting my third baby. And so I came to the clinic for some resources, some encouragement, and they went above and beyond with that. They uh, were very uh, patient with me very respectful of my time. They answered a lot of my questions um, and I just left feeling like we were all family. Uh, all of the women there were really, really kind to me. So I just wanted to say thank you for your smiles, your kindness, your information, and just overall for your time. Thank you, Real Options. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.